Welcome to the Cincy Postcast. I'm your host, Kevin Wallace. And before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Streetside Brewery. Located in historic Columbia Tusculum neighborhood, Streetside Brewery is really the perfect blend of local neighborhood bar and modern craft beer brewery. They have 24 beers on tap, and I say this every week, but it is very true. I have yet to have a bad beer from them. They are also hosting, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, they have either hosted or will be hosting our live event on Thursday, uh, February 22nd. Come on out, 7 o'clock. We'll be doing a live Q&A, special guests, and then watching the FC Cincinnati match kicking off at 9 p.m. But check out Streetside for a bunch of other events. They do a Tuesday night uh, mug night, all sorts of cool stuff there. And if you can't get out to 4003 Eastern Avenue, you can always pick up Streetside wherever you are buying beer for your next evening out. So a huge thank you to Streetside Brewery for sponsoring the postcast and a huge thank you to them for hosting us for our very first live show. And on today's episode, something a little different. This is our 2024 season preview for FC Cincinnati. If you took the offseason off, like you probably should have, we get you back up to speed. The idea here is that this is very newbie friendly. If you have a friend or a coworker or a family member who is just curious what's going on with FC Cincinnati this year. What's what's the outlook for the season? This is the episode to send them, get you right up to speed. This is also, you'll notice, the resumption of our two episodes a week. Yes, we are back to Mondays and Thursdays for the entire duration of the season. So come, listen to this, get hyped for the season, and that's going to be your postcast. Joining me to preview the 2024 FC Cincinnati season, I am joined by the usual crew, Grayson and Chief. Chief, it feels like we never left, huh? But we're back for another season. The offseason, remarkably shorter than the last go around. But you know what? When it's because your season lasts as long as it did last go around, you, you got to love that. So here's the short off seasons forevermore. If things go according to plan, we will be in season until early December. Grayson, is that exciting or terrifying? I I think it's exciting, right? Like, (laughs) you don't know what to do with yourself in the off season. Uh, And then also, you know, I'll have to, we'll have to think of fewer gimmicks. You know. Yeah, missing the the movie reviews uh, that we've done over the off season, the in the eleven out of the eighteens that we've done. Thank you to everyone who suffered through all four weeks of the off season with us. We have finally made it. Yeah. So the uh, I guess the one silver lining of this off season, you bring up the movie reviews. Yes. The movie Next Goal Wins, the recent Taika Waititi was like on my list of like, oh, this is definitely a movie. That we would review in an off season. Yeah. And I'm really glad we didn't have time to do that because as I understand it, there are some people who liked that movie 
And I didn't want them to get mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah, it was, uh, it was going to be Chernobyl all over again for you. Some people got really upset about your Chernobyl takes. (laughs) Uh, No, we are here to talk about the 2024 season for FC Cincinnati. This is going to be your primer for the season ahead. What to look for, what happened when you hopefully were able to turn your brain off in the off season and i guess before we we get to 2024 we should briefly touch on 2023 this was a a remarkably successful season i will i will put the marker down for fc cincinnati in 2023 there were certainly some some winning left on the table that could have been had there but we are as as fans of FC Cincinnati, we are, are fans of the returning Supporter Shield winners, the league winners of MLS. They were the best regular season team down the stretch. They were just a couple of points off of the all-time points record uh, through the summer. This team looked unbelievably unstoppable on their way to winning their first trophy in the MLS era. Chief, what did the Supporter Shield mean to you? It was sort of the ultimate turnaround from where we saw this team the first couple of years they were in MLS. And what's what's fun about last year, looking back on it, since we're in preview mode, is that I don't think anyone expected this team to be in the position it was at the end of the year. And they started off hotter than a firecracker. They rarely looked dominant in games, but they also looked very difficult to defeat where Mm -hmm. they weren't blowing teams out. They just were getting their business done week after week after week to the point where the, the wins became routine, which is a wild thing to say uh, if you followed this team for even (laughs) more than a minute. So the overarching take from last year was it was a well-earned trophy. They left some they left some unfinished business on the table, but what it does is it sets the stage for me for this year in that there's no sneaking up on anyone this year for FC Cincinnati. That when you come into the season as the reigning supporters shield champion, there are now expectations and the team's got a target on its back to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to say it was disappointing, but there were moments last year where you thought this team had the ability to do more. Uh, bounced out of League's Cup, uh, losing the semifinals to Lionel Messi's Inter Miami of the Open Cup. Uh, they eventually lose to the Houston Dynamo in the final. And we have to bring it up the eastern conference final loss at home blowing a lead a two goal lead to the columbus crew grayson a hangover do you expect or, or is this team hungry well so as far as the hangover standpoint i think we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like from last year to this year yeah uh, in particular with the addition of the new you know champions league competition that starts this week um and the, the effect that that typically has on on teams, uh, at least in the first you know half of the MLS schedule. Uh, that said, though, I think that you know at the end of the season, in the in the playoffs, kind of everything went wrong that week leading up to the Columbus game because mm-hmm. you had you had Matt Miazga already suspended, you had Obina Wobodo and Nick Hagland hurt. And a bunch of the team 
missed a bunch of training that week because they had the flu. Yeah. And, you know, those sound like excuses, but they kind of are. Because <laughs> they, are they are excuses. That's, <laughs> it happened. <laughs> there, there are things that happened. And they annoying, and happen, but true. <laughs> things that happen have have consequences. And that being said, you know, you still don't want to ever see your team blow a two goal lead. You certainly don't want to see it happen twice in two cup semifinals in the same season. Um, yeah. And yet here we are. Yeah. And I can promise to everyone listening that as soon as we move on from this little portion of the recap, we will not be talking about that game any further. So if this is bringing up trauma <laughs> like it does for me every time we talk about it, we're going to move past it quickly. But it just it sets the stage, I think, for this year in that when everybody walks into TQL Stadium for the start of the year, I think the majority of us are going to look around and sort of, you know, look up to the one side, look up to the other side and think, damn. I was profoundly unhappy the last time I was inside this building. <laughs> it's like returning to the scene of an awful tragedy. It really is. And I also think that there's there's a risk of, you know, last season was so good for so long that if the start of the year doesn't replicate that, it may feel like the sky is falling. And for reasons we'll discuss later when we get into how to how how we think folks should think about this year it's it's really about stick it's it's about perseverance this year i think to to set the table for 2024 uh to just to make this very accessible to everybody mls teams and soccer teams in general but mls teams we're talking about one uh they're in multiple competitions uh throughout the year so this year there is the mls regular season that they will be participating in uh hoping to qualify for the mls cup playoffs winning the cup tournament at the end of the season gets you the star on the badge it is the ultimate prize in major league soccer the best regular season team gets the supporter shield fc cincinnati won that last year best regular season team over the course of the year the other competitions include the league's cup this is a world cup style tournament with groups and a knockout round that includes mls teams and the liga mekis teams from mexico it's kind of a weird thing in world soccer that happens uh, and new for FC Cincinnati fans this year uh, FC Cincinnati is participating in the CONCACAF Champions Cup or as we still refer to it by its old name the CONCACAF Champions League here at the postcast uh, this is a regional tournament this is very similar if you've watched the European Champions League same idea the best teams from the countries that make up the region that is North America Central America and the Caribbean all participate in a gigantic knockout tournament the team that is left standing at the end of it all actually gets to go to the Club World Cup, which is an exciting tournament that is slowly gaining more relevance. There is another competition that at the time of recording, I cannot tell you FC Cincinnati is going to be in it, but there is a chance that FC Cincinnati may or may not be participating in the U.S. Open Cup. This is essentially March Madness for every single soccer team in 
in the United States. MLS is going through, let's call it a, a weird, messy divorce right now with that tournament. TBD on what that exactly looks like. Right now, it looks like only some MLS teams will be participating in that one. It's Schrodinger's tournament. It simultaneously <laughs> exists and doesn't exist, whether or not you're paying attention to it at any given yes. moment. Yes. <laughs> or maybe FC Cincinnati's reserve team will be playing in it. And this isn't hyperbole from Kevin, like quite literally from the last 48 hours, we've heard that the U.S. Open Cup was simultaneously dead, not dead, and then maybe partially dead. <laughs> Many people online have been freaking out about it. Watch this space because the way it looks right now, I agree with Kevin. I don't think FC Cincinnati will be participating in this tournament, but that could change in 24 hours at this point, which would bring the total number of trophies we're competing to. That is Supporter Shield, MLS Cup, US Open Cup, Champions League, and the Open Cup. So pending the Open Cup, we are four to five trophies up for grabs right now. Wow. Whew. What a so. year. <laughs> Got all that? There's going to be a quiz at the end of this. Yeah, right. Uh, five. The way, the best way I like to think of it is like college basketball, uh, if people are more familiar with, with that analogy, where you'll have your conference play, the out-of-conference play, your conference tournament, the NCAA tournament. Your, your college basketball team is involved in four or five competitions throughout the year, especially if they do a sort of preseason, early season invitational tournament. So that's probably the, the most equivalent I can find in American sports. You could think of the League's Cup kind of as the NBA in-season tournament a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. a new thing the NBA adopted this year, but... Just to, just to give LeBron a chance to hand another banner, hang another banner in LA. <laughs> uh, so to win, or at least compete in those competitions, FC Cincinnati brought in some reinforcements uh, this year. So this is maybe the most exciting parts of any preview. These are the new players coming into the team. I'm going to read them off and then I will throw it to you guys on who you want to talk about. First, uh, I'm going in order that I see them in Wikipedia, which might very well be their acquisition order here. Uh, Kip Keller, uh, acquired from Austin FC, a center back. Miles Robinson, another center back from Atlanta United, U.S. Men's National Team player. Corey Baird, striker slash winger from Houston Dynamo, although both uh, Miles and Baird, uh, or Robinson and Baird were free agents, to be clear. And Pavel Buka coming from the Czech League in Europe, a midfielder, 20 years old, and not officially official at the time of recording, but will probably be official by the time you listen to this. Uh, Luca Oriano uh, coming to us from Vasco da Gama in Brazil, he is Argentinian. Quite the number of reinforcements. Chief, who do you want to talk about first? Who excites you from, from the, the newest acquisitions here? I want to start with talking about Pavel Buka because he's coming in as a midfielder. He is the player so far, based on everything that we've heard and that we've seen written and reported about this club, both officially and unofficially, he's the guy that is really wowing in the preseason where you have people reporters and people connected to the team that can't shut up about how much he has impressed since training started. Um, he is he projects as a box to box midfielder. He looks like he can play all over the field. He has a a nose for getting the ball forward in a way that the player that occupies his space, who in previous years was Junior Moreno, didn't quite have. Um, he's younger. 
He has the ability to get the ball on goal when when necessary. He seems like a player who fans are going to fall in love with really, really quickly because as a lifelong or mostly lifelong Cincinnatian, I know there is absolutely nothing that wins over Cincinnati faster than hustle. We love dudes (laughs) who ball out, who go balls to the wall, running their tail off for the uh, the city of Cincinnati, and this seems like Pavel Buka right here. This is this is a player who can capture hearts the way Ryan Friel once did for the Cincinnati Reds with scrappiness, hustle, and a flair for just getting the job done. His highlights from over in Europe are fun to watch. Google them if you haven't already. He seems like a guy that player that I think you'll see an instant impact from on this team. Yeah, and on the, on the hustle point, you know, the FC Cincinnati is known as a team that engages in uh, a lot of uh, pressing, meaning you know when the other team has the ball in their own in their own half or closer to their own goal, um, we'll have our attackers run at the defender who has the ball to try to force a turnover. I mean, it's it's a lot it's a lot more complicated than that. But so you didn't see CYO basketball when the guy yeah. was going to shoot a three. You just ran and screamed at him and hoped that that would like distract him from <laughs> doing what you're supposed to do. And so I think we're going to see Buka doing a lot of like stuff that, that reads to even casual fans as like hustle plays because he's like chasing down defenders. Right. And he's forcing to kick the ball out of bounds or to boot the ball down the field or whatever. Yeah, he definitely, from some of the highlights I've seen, uh, can shoot from distance, which is always a good tool to Mm -hmm. have uh, in the midfield there. And yeah, definitely looks like somebody who's comfortable playing both ways. He can contribute in the attack and can play defensively as well. I I am very excited to to see him in this team. And what's what's interesting about all the players we're going to talk about, and if there's a sort of through thread with everybody that FC Cincinnati signed this year, and feel free to disagree with me if you think I'm wrong on this. They seem to have prioritized people that do a lot of different things, people with varied skill sets. And it seems like they've also prioritized finding people that have the ability to play with the ball and possess the ball. A lot of these players that we're picking up are guys that feel comfortable with the ball at their feet. That versatility, I think, is absolutely key. In that same vein, Corey Baird, comes into this team uh, after a pretty successful season with the Houston Dynamo. He's probably going to be deployed, uh, deployed as a striker with this team, but he has certainly spent a lot of his career out wide on the wings, has a little bit of experience in the middle, uh, but is certainly going to be uh, the number two striker in this setup going into 2024. Uh, Grayson, is anything about Baird or any of the other players that you want to you wanna touch on? Yeah, so about Baird is, um, I think Baird is not a hyper flashy signing. Right. But he is an important signing in that he's a proven, productive MLS striker who, you know, maybe it's not your first choice to have him as a starting striker. And you may think that, you know, like a player like Brandon Vasquez is 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 more talented and has a higher um, upside. You know, Baird actually outperformed Vasquez in MLS last year. Uh, More goals and assists. And um, he's somebody who, given minutes, can produce. And if they do sign, you know, say, somebody to be a starting striker ahead of him, he's somebody who I think can be dangerous off the bench, which 
they have not gotten consistently ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's looking to break the curse of the proven MLS striker for Chris Albright. Every time Chris Albright's gone shopping for a proven MLS goal scorer. But I agree. Um, I I am on record as saying that I don't. I didn't particularly like the Corey Baird signing. I think it's always risky signing a player that's coming off a career year. And Corey Baird was coming off a career year on the free agent front. We've gone this long in the conversation and not talked about Miles Robinson, yes. who is arguably the biggest. Did we did we come down on this? I think it's the biggest free agent signing potentially in MLS history. And I think it's probably for my money, the biggest signing in FC Cincinnati history. And I know we've covered this in previous episodes, but just to sort of since we're in the season preview, he there was we're paying him the max amount of money that you can pay a free agent under MLS salary rules. He had other offers. No one else could outbid him for us. We couldn't outbid anyone else for him. And he picked FC Cincinnati as the place he wanted to continue his career. And he's a U.S. men's national team starting caliber player. This isn't even just like a player who may find himself on the bench or a you know fringe call up on Camp Cupcake or the B side for a gold crup run. This is a man who potentially was in line to start in the World Cup the last go around if he hadn't gotten hurt. And it's a massive, massive signing for FC Cincinnati in terms of what it says about how this team is viewed in the American soccer landscape in MLS. And it's just a cool player to have signing and playing here. I, I can't wait to watch Miles Robinson this season. Miles had started five straight World Cup qualifiers for the men's national team before he ruptured his Achilles tendon in yeah. 22. Mm. Um, he has, you know, come back and been a starter in the Nations League and Gold Cup for the national team, and he's somebody that you would expect to be around the national team moving forward. Yeah, a huge signing. I mean, Chief, I, I would even go one step further and say in the history of professional sports in Cincinnati, there's a strong argument for Miles Robinson being the biggest free agent signing in Cincinnati sports history. So you'd have to you'd have to like scale it up, right? To be right. like their stature in relation to the rest of the sport. Yes. yes. But I yes. think that that's it's like pound for pound. The biggest free agent signing in right. Cincinnati yeah. history. Yeah. No, Cor Coco Cordero, I think, earned maybe like 40 times as much. Yes. As much. But in terms of where they rank in the hierarchy of their sport, this is this is Shohei Otani sign, signing for the Reds, the yeah. number one free agent of the year signing it for FC Cincinnati. I mean, that's huge. He actually turned down more money to stay in Atlanta to take a little bit less than he could have uh, with Atlanta to come to Cincinnati. And then obviously, whatever European offers were out there, which apparently there were some. And that, folks, is the power of natural grass playing surfaces. <laughs> <laughs> which he did cite at MLS Media Days as one of uh, the reasons why he did want to come to Cincinnati or at least a team that did play on grass. I wonder if he will play against Atlanta in Atlanta. I wonder if there's a part of him that 
we'll want to sit that one out just so he can make the point to not play on that turf. Just to round out the uh, the incoming players there, Kip Keller uh, is a special place in my heart because I might have allegedly tweeted that I would kill myself if FC Cincinnati did not draft Kip Keller a couple of years ago from the Super Draft. Uh, they did not draft him. And that tells you that tells you all you need to know about how Kevin pays bets up. So <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, I will chicken out occasionally. All right. I'm 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 not afraid to admit that. Yeah, but Kip Keller was a highly, highly touted uh, prospect coming out of St. Louis uh, University. Whatever happened, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't work out in Austin. Um, I suspect it's more in relation to how they use center backs versus how we use center backs. And he does seem to fit the profile of the rest of the center backs in FC Cincinnati's team currently. Don't expect to see a ton of him, uh, except for maybe the first home game. <laughs> and uh, in if they if they end up in, you know, U.S. Open Cup. I mean, look, it's good solid depth uh for this team and particularly center back depth which was an Achilles heel of this team in 2023 you could point directly to it as potentially why this team is not the reigning uh MLS Cup champions there so always a sad part of these previews at least for me um because especially coming off of a good season uh, not not a ton of ill will towards any of these guys Player departures, uh, folks that have left, options declined on Santiago Arias, Dominic Baggi, Ray Gaddis, Harrison Robledo, and Junior Moreno. Uh, Brandon Vasquez was one that took a very large transfer to Monterey and Liga MX and late breaking news as the time of we are recording Alvaro Barrial out on loan uh, looks like for the season with a potential purchase option at the end of that Grayson where do we want to go first with the departures out this offseason well um, I think as far as the options declined uh, sometimes options are, are declined and players come back that happened with Yuya Kubo yes. this year yes um, but none of the players that Kevin mentioned uh, will be coming back because Arias Moreno, Baji have all signed with new teams and uh the club has a f- replay that wasn't good enough to sign again. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if he if he ended up anywhere but um but uh the club has officially bid farewell to Gaddis and and Robledo as well. Uh I think the first one we should touch on is um you know why the team would sell Brandon Vasquez. Because that's that's probably the question that I got the most after it happened from people who follow the team a little little more casually than I do. I mean, I don't host a podcast two times yeah. a week during the season <laughs> about this team. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, because people are like, I thought like he was a really good player. Sure why is. Would, uh, <laughs> yeah. Why would they uh, move on from him? And you know, I think in in every player is is got a different story. Um, we'll talk about a different situation in, in a bit with Barial, but with Vasquez, um, he was a player on a pretty high salary with FC Cincinnati that was, quite frankly, um, a bit of a burden to carry on the salary cap 
um, unless he continued to produce like he did in 2022. Yeah. Um, he was on close to a million dollars in salary. That's a big number in Major League Soccer. And um, one, the team was not in a position to really ever raise his pay very much um, at any point in time in the future uh, because of MLS, MLS roster rules, which we'll get into in more detail later. Um, and also, you know, Vasquez is interested in one, obviously maximizing his salary, two, um, increasing his chances at getting looks with the U.S. men's national team, which he has struggled to do while playing in MLS, um, and three, ultimately he has ex- he expressed a wish to, you know, move on to Europe. So Monterey, which is a team in in Mexico, it's one of the biggest teams in all of the Americas, North and South America. Um, they spend a ton of money on players. They offer really big salaries. Word is Vasquez may have close to tripled his, Ooh. his salary. Good, money. Uh, Good work. Moving to Monterey. Um, a lot of pesos. So they came calling and they made an offer of it's seven and a half million dollars plus, I think another million dollars in incentives. Plus, I think we retained a percentage of if Monterey sells Vasquez to another team, uh, we have the potential to to participate in that deal as well. Um, so they come, they offer us a big uh, uh, profit on Vasquez. They got him for about, I think, $150,000 yeah. initially. Um, they offer Brandon uh, three times his salary. A chance to play with a giant in Mexico, a team with a bigger following than any team in MLS, a bigger following than many teams even in Europe. Yeah. And to play on a stage that, you know, probably shines a brighter light on him for the men's national team. And if he goes down to Mexico and produce, and by the way, he He's has producing. so far. <laughs> yeah, I think he has, producing. I think he has four goals for them already. Yeah. He still has that potential at his age to play himself into a move into, you know, Germany or, or England or Spain or somewhere that players view because as much as we love FC Cincinnati and we love following MLS, you got to be realistic with where American soccer currently sits and it's not the biggest stage. No. And that is that the biggest stage is over in Europe. And then if not in Europe, some very specific teams in Brazil, Argentina, Mexico. So anyway, the net of the the net of the Brandon Vasquez sale, yeah, is it was a class. It was a classic like win win, where the team gets a nice payday. They get they get a bunch they get a, a chunk of money that they could use to to spend, you know, to help improve their roster, and um the player gets to move on to a team that is in a position to pay him a lot more money than he was ever going to get without leaving MLS. So bottom line on this, when and if Brandon Vasquez returns to TQL Stadium, which if you project out the CONCACAF Champions Cup uh, or Champions League, as we call it here on the postcast, they would be our next opponent if we advance past the first round. Is the proper response to Brandon Vasquez returning to TQL 
polite applause? What, what, what are we, as a fan base, what are we? What is the expectation for us when Vasquez returns to FC Cincinnati? I think we cheer for him. Yeah, when his name is announced, and that's it. Yeah, acknowledge him when his name is announced, and then from then on, he is an opposing player. Yeah, yeah, I'll accept a a polite golf clap of some kind, or at least not raining booze if he scores one goal or something. I, I, I don't know. If we're winning four nothing, sure. And he scores a garbage time goal. <laughs> sure. But I don't, I'm not cheering for a goal scored on FC Cincinnati under any circumstances. Oh, I'm not cheering for it. I don't care if it. it's for like a disabled, if it's by a disabled cancer kid. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> wow. That if went it's hard. against <laughs> FC Cincinnati, I like these battle lines. These right. are good. These right. are good. <laughs> On a scale of one to Frankie Amaya, we're we're not putting him at Frankie Amaya. Is basically no. what we're saying. Whatever right. the opposite end of Frankie Amaya is, he he did his job. I think that's a good explainer on Vasquez. He is a classic case of. Uh, Liga MX has uh, the same types of rules that MLS does in terms of you need to have so many Mexican players on your roster. He qualified as a Mexican player down there, which made him more valuable than your average uh, transfer would be. It's a massive club. He gets a chance to make more money in his prime earning years. This is one of those things where when you follow a league like MLS, you just sort of have to come to grips with that it is not the best league. We know that. And there are probably about six or seven leagues around the world that it's on par with where for any number of reasons, a player could choose to want to go to one of those other leagues, whether that's to make more money, to be closer to home, to fulfill some life ambition they have. And you just don't have a lot of choice when a player says, I would like to go play someplace else, because ultimately the players have most of the leverage in these types of situations because they can withhold their labor from you or make it difficult for you to do business. If that's the Vasquez response, <laughs> let's talk about Alvaro Barrial then. So Alvaro Barrial was the late breaking transfer that is probably brand new to most people listening to this. Who knows if we get more details about what's going on with the situation between now and when you listen to this, but as it stands right now, Alvaro Barrial, uh, by the reporting done by Pat Brennan and Laurel Failer, basically requested out of FC Cincinnati. Alvaro uh, was originally signed by Gerard Nijkamp as a U-22 player. He, the goal always with Alvaro Barrial was he was an investment property. He was bought by this team with the idea that they would develop him and eventually realize a profit from signing him, which is how many, many clubs around the world operate. It's buy low, sell high with young talent. That's how you fund your operation to do other things like sign more young talent, build out your academy and your scouting process. Barial has wanted to move to Europe for the better part of a year now. He wanted it last year and there weren't a lot of suitors for it. And he was told, sorry, um, nobody's meeting our valuation. And we also need you to help win a trophy here right now. He was shopped heavily this January during the European transfer window, and by all accounts, no offers came through, uh, depending on what you, what you read and what you hear. Certainly nothing that came close to matching what FC Cincinnati's valuation was. There had been a thought temporarily that maybe we would have him until the summer. He reported back to Clearwater. The reporting was that he was fully intent on participating with the team. 
He was seen in some videos of training, playing some vo- uh, beach volleyball, soccer, soccer ball, soccer volley. Sure. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> volleyball with your feet. The hell with it. And then uh, word comes out today he's on the move down to Brazil for a loan that will last the entirety of this year. There will be a purchase option that triggers in December for about $4 million uh, on that. FC Cincinnati can cancel that purchase option and sell elsewhere if more money comes in on an offer for him elsewhere. But it sounds like, according to what Pat Brennan reported, this move is entirely because Barrial made it very clear he did not want to be here any longer. So at the 11th hour, this team is is missing Alvaro Barrial. What do we read into this, if anything? It's a difficult one because through this whole offseason, the club was very public with their intention to move Barrial on. That was stated publicly many times in interviews that their intention was to move Barrial to a new team. When that didn't materialize... I think many fans, myself included, kind of got excited at the idea of, well, well, you know, half a season of Barrial would be pretty good. You know, assuming it doesn't hamstring the team's ability to build out the rest of the roster, this this might actually be a net positive. And then, you know, the transfers are usually easier in the summer. That's when Europe tends to do most of its buying. It would make a lot of sense. So right as a lot of fans start to get comfortable with the idea of, oh, okay, well, Barrio will be here at least through the summer, and then we'll make the big replacement then. He demands his way, I don't want to say demands, but he sort of fights his way out of the club into what appears, again, at at the time with the information that we have now, maybe not the dream scenario that FC Cincinnati was looking for uh, earlier in this offseason, and they miss out on you know those six months that I think a lot of folks were, were starting to look forward to with Barrio. I... On one hand, you're mad at Barrial for doing this because the season is right around the corners. This week are the first games. But at the same time, the team and fans should have been sort of emotionally prepared for, and at least the team actually prepared for, him not being here. So then him not being here... I don't know. On paper, shouldn't be that big of a deal. I don't know. Grayson, do you have a different take on that? I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's a complicated situation. Uh, You have a player who had, by all accounts, been given a lot of assurances by the team that they were going to move him on. Um, The right thing never came. Uh, The current deal, as what's been reported with Cruzeiro in Brazil, um, that would net you know, a profit to FC Cincinnati. Um, I would argue it's not an improved situation for Barrial. I mean, maybe one of those, maybe it's an improved lifestyle situation. Maybe he's more comfortable down in South, South America. You don't really know what's going on in somebody's private life that might be a motivator. I don't think it's one that there's any reason to be upset about. You know, I mean, we're all sad that we've seen the last of Alvaro Barrio with FC Cincinnati because uh, he was such a fun player to watch, but his replacement is already on the roster. <laughs> uh, well, well, 
kind of sort of is on the roster like any day now <laughs> his replacement the guy the person who they already signed to 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 replace Barreal is Luca Oriano and you know there've been talk that he would be playing on the right while Barreal was still with the team now you just move him over to the left and um I know we're going to talk a little bit about MLS roster rules in a second um but generally you would think okay we have to actually move Barreal on permanently to replace him but currently Oriano would be in the team on a loan so the team wouldn't have to worry about covering a transfer fee and for all we know Vasco da Gama may be covering uh some of Oriano's salary as well so he would potentially be a much cheaper player uh, on the roster than Barrial. So this dovetails into another player that's departing, and that's that. So in this moment when Barrial was coming back, the idea was, oh, we're going to get Alvaro Barrial, and that means he can slot back into his left-handed, left wing-back role, and then Oriano can play on the right-hand side as an inverted winger, which means that he is a left foot on the right-hand side making it more likely that he'll cut in as opposed to being able to use his right foot to sweep the ball in. Footedness matters. It's, you know, imagine yourself doing it, running on your right and running on your left, in which way it would be easier to cross the ball on, depending on which foot that you have. That's how I do it, because I'm just brain dead when it comes to this sort of stuff. <laughs> um, the issue then becomes that that made sense. That's a roster that makes sense. When Oriano moves over to Barrial's spot, well, that makes sense, too, because he um, can play and he's left footed and he'll have the ability to play that left wing back. But then it leaves a gaping hole on the right hand side where, as of right now, there is no one. And that's because Santiago Arias was a player who started last year as trialist, continuing the fine tradition of FC Cincinnati, uh, starting your career as trialist and graduating to having a name. And Santiago <laughs> Arias was certainly a big name. He big contributor last year when he was healthy, declined his option this year, which uh, we were thinking and we were estimating was somewhere in the eight hundred to $900,000 range for the option Probably. this year. Yeah. And so all told with the departures, um, Vasquez was a starter. You have a ready replacement lined up right now with Corey Baird. Your mileage may vary as to whether or not you think that's a great replacement or an adequate replacement. With Barrial leaving, you have Luca Oriano, who by all accounts seems like a great replacement for Barrial, almost a like-for-like -like swap. With Barrial and Arias leaving, you do in that spot hit the first person where you don't have a replacement for him. We have Junior Moreno leaving in the middle. We think Pablo Buca is going to be the replacement there. By all accounts, that seems like a really good replacement. But on that right wing back side, we are going to enter the season this year, barring a very, very last-minute signing announcement. We're going to enter the season with no starting right wing back on this team. Yeah. And, you know, Arias kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Yersin Mascara last year kind of came out of nowhere. So Albright's pulled some some kind of last minute surprises before. Uh, and you add Junior Moreno to that list. Uh, he was signed the week leading up to the first game of the 2022 season. Um, But you know, barring a last-minute surprise, 
we're going to see, I think, one of two things to start the year. That's either Alvis Powell playing it right back, who is offensively limited. That's, um, that's, such a, in, that's such a positive way of looking at this. I appreciate that. <laughs> he, has, he has put in a lot of good minutes for this team, and I just don't want, I don't want to... And all of them on the other half of the field. Right. And he's, he's done what has been asked of him to the best of his ability over and over and over again. Um, but he's also somebody who you think of as a backup option in an ideal world. Um, the, other, the other option that they have tried in preseason is Yuya Kubo, who uh, is right-footed, can bring you width on the right side, has shown versatility to play in a whole host of positions. Uh, but not up this and one. down the field. <laughs> he, we have not seen it at this position yet. Although he did get forward and assist uh, Bupenza in the game against Philly uh, from that uh, right wing back position. Um, so, you know, I think this is a work in progress. And it, it's, MLS is not super transparent when it comes to the salary budget. Um, but I think bringing Oriano in on a loan initially makes him a lot easier to carry on the salary budget. Um, they're not paying Santiago Arias $800,000, $900,000 at right wing back. So they should have, as far as we can tell, some flexibility to bring in somebody on the right. There's a few MLS free agents still out there. But there's also, you know, no telling to the layperson uh, what player in the international market might currently be a misfit in their situation, you know, like Santiago Arias was uh, before he came to FC Cincinnati. This feels like a good transition point to explaining a little bit of MLS roster rules and MLS salary rules. But before we do... I do want to note as well, I don't know, did we mention that Yerson Mascara returned off loan back to Wolverhampton and now to Villarreal? He was never going to be here for the long term. He is a shining shooting star over in Europe. He will probably be playing in the Premier League within the next 18 to 24 months. It was a privilege to have known him in all his shithousing ways. God be with you, Yerson. You carry the dreams of the orange and blue as you head forward. Yeah, he was not technically on this list because, yeah, it was a loan. That loan was up, so he was never an FC Cincinnati player fully. He was here, as you said, on loan. That loan ended. He went back to Wolverhampton is now at Villarreal. So, yeah, man, we miss him, but that is why Miles Robinson is here. So that does lead us very nicely then to a brief overview of MLS roster rules and probably a good reminder here of why you see a lot of moves like uh, Brandon Vasquez, which is MLS is virtually one of the only top division soccer leagues in the world that has a 
fully functional salary cap. There is a maximum amount that you can pay these players. I don't know if one exists in Japan or Australia. Those would be the only two countries I could think of off the top of my head that would have one. Otherwise, teams are allowed to spend as much as they are willing to spend on players, and that is why Vasquez can have his salary tripled in Mexico, and he can't really find a pay increase in MLS. So I, I do want to leave it or, or hand it over to Grayson to, to sort of give us the overview, but I'll, I'll lay out some terms here and then I'll let Grayson fill in the blanks. So in general, uh, MLS soccer teams have a base salary cap that floats you know, north of $5 million. It goes up every single year uh, per the uh, the CBA that was negotiated with the players. I think we might even be close to or over $6 million going into we're this year. approaching six. But. Okay, so we're approaching $6 million. From there, that's your baseline. Every player's salary has to fit into the salary cap. And then MLS lets you play around with those ideas. So they give you extra money in the form of GAM and TAM that lets you pay for players' salaries that doesn't count against your charge. You have players that don't count against the salary cap or not all against the salary cap in different ways, shape, or form. And the fun little wrinkle here, because unlike in American sports where you only have to worry about the salary, uh, we have transfer fees in soccer. This is where you have to pay a player's team with that it, they have a contract with. You pay them to break their current contract to then offer them a new contract. That transfer fee, so that's where you get Monterey paid a transfer fee of $7.5 million for Brandon Vasquez. They offer FC Cincinnati $7.5 million to break their contract with Brandon Vasquez. Vasquez then signs a new contract with Monterey. That contract doesn't transfer over from team to team. They negotiate a new one. But when you pay a transfer fee as an MLS team, you have to account for that in your salary cap. I also appreciate so much that we're not referring it to buying and selling the players that way because yeah. it gets a little <laughs> gross when you talk about yeah. buying and selling human beings. It's always been one of the more uncomfortable aspects of soccer that you're putting a, a cash valuation on a person's worth as a per, as a as a human. <laughs> the shorthand is so easy. And, and we'll we'll continue to say that even after this caveat, right? We right. sold Barial, we loaned Barial. We're loaning their the right to their labor via a contract, a professional contract with them. So, Grayson, help us help us fill in the gaps here. I, I try to give a, a the briefest of overviews. I'm sure I even got some things wrong with that. Uh MLS rules are notoriously difficult to wrap your mind around, but I, I think these are some of the uh, the highlights that people want to hear. No, no, no offense, Kevin, yeah. but I, I found your I found the explanation, which is the explanation that a lot of people kind of give of the rules. I always right. find that a bit confusing. Okay, um, because like starting off with like, MLS rules confusing. Surely you jest. Starting off with the salary cap and. Gam and Tam, like already, like I'm off the boat, right? Right. Fair enough. So the way that I like to think about it is so there's there's these three buckets of money, right? There's like the salary cap, which is that almost six million dollar uh, number that that Kevin mentioned. And then there's this, you know, thing called general allocation money and targeted allocation money. Um, those are just three pockets of money that are used to account for players salary and transfer fees 
And the way that transfer fees are accounted for is you take the fee paid and you divide it by the guaranteed length of the contract. So if a player comes over on a $3 million transfer fee and they have a three-year contract, you have a million dollars of transfer fee that you have to account for somehow. So the way that I would think about it is there's about $10 million of, of roster spend that you have to stay under that you could think of as your salary cap. So there's like $10 million you get to spend on your roster every year. And by your roster, I mean there's a thing called the senior roster, which is your top 18 to 20 paid players on the team. And then there's a couple of, ex of exceptions to that where a player's cap hit, you know, how much they count to get to that $10 million, what we'll refer to for these purposes as the total salary cap. There's a couple of exceptions to that. Those are your, de your designated players, which I think most people probably have, have heard of that concept if you've been following MLS for at least a year. And those are three players, no matter how much you pay them, they're only going to count about $680,000 against your salary cap. But you'll need, to, you'll need to remember those numbers. You just got to remember there's a designated player whose cap hit is limited, and you can pay that player as much as you want. Lionel Messi gets paid like $40 million. Yes. <laughs> he, has the same, he has the same cap charge as Lucho Acosta, who gets paid, we think, probably in the $3, 4000000 million range. He just signed a new contract. We don't know what that is yet. So three players, you get to, they're cheat codes, like three cheat yeah. codes you can break the roster rules with. They have to be your superheroes on the roster. They have to be the guys that are better than everybody else there. And winning and losing an MLS in large part is comes down a lot to the teams that keep their designated players healthy and don't miss on designated player signings. And so FC Cincinnati's three designated players are Luciano Acosta, the reigning MLS MVP. Aaron Bupenza, who was signed late in the year, but was very productive in limited time. And Obina Wobodo, who, for my money, is the best defensive mid midfielder in all of MLS. There's an argument he's the best pound-for-pound -pound player in MLS. There's another category of player called the U22 initiative. And these are players who were signed when they're 22 years old or younger. And the trick with them is you can spend as much money as you want on their transfer fee, and it doesn't count against your salary budget. The only trick is you have to keep their salary under what's called like the under the maximum salary, which for these purposes is $680,000 approximately. And if you do that, those players only come in at a limited budget hit. And these are other players where you can, you can break the bank on these players, um, but they do tend to be more in the variety of lottery tickets where they're younger players. They have to be under 22. Some of them hit. Uh, Alvaro Barrial was a U22 player when he was originally signed to FCC. Some of them don't. If the name Isaac Atanga doesn't sound familiar to you, there's a reason for that. He was terrible. He was a U22 initiative signing for FC Cincinnati. So currently the, currently the U22 on FC Cincinnati's roster is um, Marco Angulo. FC Cincinnati is currently only allowed to have one of those players because um, they have the, the three DPs that we mentioned, Acosta, Bupenza, and Wobodo. None of them is young enough to qualify for a young designated player spot, and then they all make too much money. But teams who have either at least one of their, of their DPs 
of being uh, 23 years old or younger or have one of their DPs uh, make, you know, below a certain threshold of money that is currently about $1.7 million. Those teams are allowed to have up to three U22 players. So it's really like up in that stance, it's like up to teams discretion on how they want to do that. Right. Right. Do you want, do you want three older designated players who are, you know, sure things, or do you want like a cheaper guy or you want to go younger and maybe, maybe you're rolling the dice a little bit more. Rolling the dice is a great, great way to term this because these rules do sound like I've said before, they were come up, they came up by cooked up dungeons and dragons nerds. There's way too many rules. (laughs) And then the other part is a choose your own adventure book. Do you want, Turn to page 57 to have three U22 initiatives, but only two designate. The bottom line is this, is that for FC Cincinnati this year, part of the influence of the roster build this year is the fact that over the past few years, uh, in 2022, they brought in a designated player, Obina Wobodo. In 2023, they brought in a designated player, Aaron Bupenza. As it stands right now, champagne problems. FC Cincinnati has three very, very good designated players. The downside to that is there is no other slots to use to make big, splashy signings where you're going out and you're paying $7 million, $8 million on a transfer fee. They already have their U22 spot being used as of right now with Marco Angulo. So as these, for now, there's rumors perhaps that Angulo could be on the move, but as of right now, the roster restrictions of MLS make it a little punitive when they're going out and looking for replacements for players like Alvaro Barrial, like Brandon Vasquez, because they just can't go out and say, I would like to go buy a very good striker from over in Europe or down in South America. They have to make the numbers work in order to fit the into that $10 million pool because they can't go break the rules with one of these other slots right now. And one way you can help players fit into that $10 million pool is by growing the pool. And there's not a lot of ways to do that, but the biggest way to do that is by selling a player like Brandon Vasquez to a team like Monterey. Yep. Because if you get a transfer fee for a player um, that you sell their contract outside the league, you can convert up to about $1.1 million of that, of that transfer fee into more salary money. So you're growing that $10 million figure to $11 million. Or if you sell two players, you're growing that $10 million figure to $12 million. You know? So if, yeah, so if you, you, know, you sell Brandon Vasquez, Theoretically, you have another million dollars to find the replacement for Brandon Vasquez that year. Converting shrewd bucks to Stanley Nichols is what we're doing here. (laughs) And that is what the best teams in MLS are able to do, that they are able to win and then convert uh, player contracts into larger and larger pools of money, reinvest that, continue to grow, continue to thrive. Every player on your roster has a price, and especially with MLS, that is just the nature of the business there, and you have to always be willing to part with guys for the, the right offer because you know 
you can turn around and reinvest that and maybe not even directly into the first team roster. $2 million will set up your academy very nicely for five years, six years, and you can develop the homegrown talent going forward. And you may ask yourself if you're, you know, just now getting into the roster mechanisms of MLS, you may ask yourself, self, is there a place (laughs) I can go to go look all these numbers up and track how my team is doing? in terms of what money is available, what roster slots are available, how much we've spent. The answer to that question may surprise you, or it may not, depending on how long you've been following MLS. The answer is no. That's part of why it's like not really that rewarding to get too in the in the details. Of- so nice of you to say that after you've already made everybody listen to all this. Or you already, <laughs> already done this. Look, look I, I said I said all I want to do is just say, like, look, all you got to do is have a working knowledge of this is say there's between the salary budget, uh, GAM and TAM is about $10 million. If you want to go beyond that, you got to either get more GAM somehow or sign somebody to a DP or U22 deal. And if somebody makes more than million a year. They have to be a DP. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's a working knowledge of, of the roster rules right there. I I guess the only thing that you didn't touch on that people might hear is generation Adidas. These are super draft picks that Adidas pays their salary for the first couple of years. So they don't count against the salary cap at all. And homegrown players. These are players that are promoted out of a team's academy. They don't count against the salary cap for a certain length of time on their first contract or until they they hit a certain age. So homegrown players and, and generation Adidas players are, for all intents and purposes, free so long as they are young and on those original contracts there. As they get older, they start charging. And there's a there's a really long explainer of 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 roster rules in article form on our website. Yes. Um so if you really want to know more, uh, yeah, I I encourage you to I encourage you to I encourage you to read that and maybe Kevin will put the link in the episode notes. And then I think that's going to be it for roster rules. Yes, that that is enough of the nerddom that lets us go into the fun part here. The expected lineup of FC Cincinnati and how we expect this team to play. I will say through the preseason and everything else we have seen so far, uh, we don't expect this team to look any different shape-wise than we saw last year, which was the three center backs, two wing backs, three midfielders, two striker formation. Um, I'm gonna run through what I think is our first choice starting lineup with the players that we have mostly officially now, and then I'll I'll let you guys critique and and sort of point out maybe things that you would do a little differently, but Roman Celentano is your goalkeeper, a MLS goalkeeper of the year finalist. Uh, The back line will be some combination of Miles Robinson, Matt Miazga, and Nick Hagland or Ian, Ian Murphy. Murphy? Ian Murphy. Ian Murphy. <laughs> yeah. Hags is going to be hurt for a little bit. He's still yeah. on, a, on a bum wheel from recovering from last year. They're expecting him back by like March, mid-March, I want to say. Something like also, that. Also, I think it's Ian Murphy's I think job. the first choice lineup is going to be Murphy, Miazga, Robinson. Yeah. Left, so you left got, to right. 
Ian Murphy got a U.S. Men's National Team call-up in January. Miles Robinson, as we discussed, uh, probably would have started in the World Cup had he been healthy. Matt Miazga, you're reigning MLS Defender of the Year. On the left side for the wingback, that is Luca Oriano, your Barrial replacement. And on the right, I'll go ahead and slot in Yuya Kubo as our starting right back. As we said, could possibly be Alvis Powell there. In the midfield, it is Pavel Buka, Obi Wobodo, and Lucho Acosta, the reigning MVP of MLS. And ahead of them, Corey Baird, as we discussed, and Aaron Bupenza, designated player striker is I I, let me ask you this question is this team as I laid it out and let's take Kubo as the starter for for the uh for the the question here is this team better than it was last year chief no I don't think so I think that soccer you've said this before Kevin soccer is a weak link sport yep and you're only as good as the weakest link that can touch the ball and play on your team um, they do not have a starter at right wing back right now. So when I say no, it's not as good as last year yet. If they go out at some point and correct the fact that they do not have a starting caliber player playing right wing back, I think this team can be better than last year, flat out. But as it stands right now, their only options playing right wing back are a player who's never played it before at any level, as far as I know, and a player who... He is, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a warrior. He is a bad player when it comes to what they want to do with the right wing back position. He offers very little going forward. Um, Having said that, they've done a great job with the rest of the roster. Um, You would think that they can probably hold out and hold serve until they can go find a player that can play on the right hand side. The back, the back line on this team is going to be spectacular if they stay healthy. I mean, just it's incredible talent all across the back. Great goalkeeping, improving goalkeeping. So it's you, you figure he was a contender for goalkeeper of the year. He's getting better. Celentano is. Bupenza, a full year, uh, a full offseason with the team. It looks like he is really starting to gel with Lucho Acosta wow. in the preseason. They can't stop raving about Pavel Buka, and I'm going to choose to believe him on that. Um. I think this team is probably a right wing back away from being better than it was last year because then the cascade effect of that is is also important that it lets Yuya Kubo be the first replacement for a lot of players in the midfield. I mean, the joke on this podcast has been that Yuya is the backup everywhere. Yes. And so if he's starting for you at right wing back, he can't be your backup elsewhere. And that's a weird thing to say about a player, but it really does point to the versatility of Yuya. And this team is in a lot of competitions this year. They're going to be in five, potentially. They're going to be playing a lot of minutes at the start of the year. They're going to need depth. And right now, without a starting right wing back, depth is an issue for this team right now. Depth will be a bigger issue for this team if Marco Angulo goes out on loan or goes out like we've we've heard. So as of right now, no, I don't think it's a better team than last year. But it's also a work in progress, and it's not a complete roster yet. So I think it has a chance to be, when it's complete, a better team than last year. I I really think that... You so desperately don't want to agree with me here, and I can just no, see it on your face. I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with you at all, and I really hate the kind of uh, extre- extre- extremeness of, of your position on this right wing back spot. Um, 
yeah, like it. If you imagine that Santiago Arias, the best that we saw him, started at right right wing back all of last year for FC Cincinnati, then yeah, that's a big miss. But the fact is that Ray Gaddis and Alvis Powell started a whole lot of games at right back for that team. That team won the supporter shield. Um, and yeah, now they're going to have to start all the games. <laughs> that team beat Philadelphia Union without Matt Miazga and Obi Wobodo. Those guys are going to be back for at least, you know, most of the year. Uh, Miazga still is going to be currently, he's still suspended the first two league games, which means he's available for the Champions Cup. But we'll see if that situation changes. But look, um, I am not delusional enough to assume that Oriana was going to be an improvement over Barreal at left back. Not immediately. He's there's a good reason to believe that you're getting like for like there. At least I think the, the back three are going to be better when they're all together. Um, Robinson is probably a push currently on a lot of levels as mascara, but Robinson is heads and tails above him as uh, a mature pro. Uh, Robinson is not somebody who has a history of get picking up a lot of stupid cards or a lot of cards of any kind. Yeah. So he's going to be available when he's not with the men's national team more regularly than like Miazga and Mosquera were who were getting cards, you know, basically every game or every other game. Um, Miazga is who he is. We know how we know how good he is. I think Buja is going to be a big improvement over Moreno. He's going to give us a lot more in attack. Um, as disappointed as it may seem to replace Brandon Vasquez with Corey Baird, you got to remember, we played most of last year for all intents and purposes without a designated player striker on the roster. Um, Brenner scored one goal and was barely available for the team. And Bupenza was only only available for like 10, uh, 10 league games. I yeah. Think. They only got 14 goals between Brandon Vasquez and the what I'll call the DP striker spot last year. They got 36 from those two spots in 2022. <laughs> I think it's going to be, I'm not going to say 36, but I think it's going to be closer to 36 than 14 this year. And, you know, there's still room for additions to come. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about are they better right now? If you plop Alvis Powell on the right wing back spot, I think there's a really good argument that that's a better roster than they than they uh, than they started most of the supporter shield campaign, and it's a much better roster than they started against Columbus Crew in the Eastern Conference Final. Which is, I mean, you look at a lot of these previews and all of the, uh, you know, for whatever the power rankings are and, and everything, whatever those are worth. Yeah, Columbus gets a lot of credit for what was ultimately a very weakened FC Cincinnati team in that one game. The core of this team is still the Supporter Shield winning team, and you can see upgrades all around the field. I will touch on possible additions. Unlike in a lot of sports where you have a trade deadline, the world of soccer operates in transfer windows. You have a window of time where you're allowed to add players to your roster. They're always allowed to leave, by the way, and that works for a a league like MLS, where you can sign a player from England, for example. Their team just has to be willing to let that player go. 
MLS teams can sign new additions all the way up until late April and then again later in the season uh, in, in the summer going into early fall. FC Cincinnati, I believe, is looking for more striker options, at least one position there. And you got to assume Chris Albright also sees the hole at right wing back. Assuming those positions are filled, the sky's the limit with this team. If these players can live up to their potential, if they can match something of what they put together last year, there is a lot of hope that you can put into this team going into the 2024 season. I, I'll, I'll ask you guys this question. We, we judged last year the success was at least a trophy would be a successful season. And I know we've touched on this earlier in the offseason, but I'll ask you again now. Is that the standard here? At least a trophy. This team should be coming away with at least one of four or five trophies. I don't think so. Um, I think that's the the hope. But I think that there are too many questions on this team at the start of the year to say realistically that you have to, it's trophy or bust. And some of those questions are just, we don't have enough information to make the decision right now. I'm high on Pavel Buka. I have no idea if he's going to live up to the hype that we've heard in the preseason. I'm high on Luca Oriano. I have no idea how long it's going to take Luca Oriano to integrate into the team or any of these other players to integrate into the team. So given all that, I, I don't think it's fair to say that the expectation on this team is that, oh, it's a disappointment if they don't win MLS Cup. I think we're all in agreement that it's very unlikely they're going to repeat as Supporters Shield champions for no other reason than it's so rare that it happens in the league. It's just really, really hard to do in a league with as much parity as MLS for a team to go back to back with Supporters Shield. And also when you add in the additional competitions they're in with CONCACAF Champions uh, League at the start of the year, it's just going to be tough for them to maintain that. So no, I, I don't think the expectation is trophy or bust. But having said that, would I be surprised if this team won Supporters Shield? The answer is no. Would I be surprised if they won MLS Cup or Leagues Cup? No. The only trophy I would be outright surprised if they won is CONCACAF Champions League. And that's just because this team is, is pieces short right now. And I don't think it's going to be till the summertime until some of those pieces come in. But that's fine because last year, this team got picked off in the playoffs by a, a team that got better as the year went along. The team that won MLS Cup last year was not the same team or as good as that same team when it started MLS the season. They got better as the year went along. They made smart additions. The players came together better and they peaked at the right time. That's kind of, for me, what the upside of this FC Cincinnati team is. I think this team will be a little rougher out of the gate. I think they're going to lose some games that we're going to be surprised for them to lose or drop points in games that I think we'd be surprised that they drop points in. But hopefully, over the course of the year, they make they get an actual competent player playing right wing back. It allows Yuya Kubo to become the super sub again. They maybe add a better player that can be an option either as a starter or off the bench as striker. And then when we're talking about this team in September, in October, we're talking about a team that's in ascendancy as opposed to a team where they've already played their best run of soccer 
uh, over the summer. Yeah, I think that's the hope for the year, because I think, you know, while they're in the hunt for arguably so many different trophies, given that they're not complete at the beginning of the year and they're going to be balancing Champions Cup with the MLS uh, league schedule early in the year when you hope they haven't brought in that there's additions coming, but likely aren't going to be here yet. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult to stay competitive for the Shield and for Champions Cup. So then you're looking at Leagues Cup and uh, MLS Cup and maybe US Open Cup. Um, I think a successful year uh, would include a cup championship. Uh, but I agree with Chief that I think last year was last year felt like a trophy or bust season. This year feels like you should expect to be competitive for multiple trophies. Um, but it's not a failure. Not to not to not to take one home. It, although I do think it would be a disappointment. Um. Because while it is difficult to replace so many key players, it feels like the additions that Albright has made were really, really impressive. What if I offer you this? I was trying to put it in concrete terms. This season will be a success if this team is hosting the is is a top half of the the bracket playoff team so hosting or a home field advantage in the playoffs and makes a quarterfinal of a cup tournament makes a semifinal of a cup tournament if if you had to put a an objective marker on it it's hard to put an objective marker on it because i'm going to measure success this year on the hit rate on these signings mm. like this season is a hit if luca oriano and pavel buka perform to expectations. I will find this season to be successful if Albright's track record of nailing signings continues. Because if that happens, this team will be in a good position come the end of the year. Well, there we go. I know, Grayson, do you have a, a different take on it? Are you willing to put an objective marker on this? My knee-jerk reaction is top four in the East and make a cup final. But I'm with Chief. Like it's going to be a moving target all year. Mm -hmm. We got to see how the additions look, and we got to see what's done, if anything, to fill out, you know, the couple of of roster spots that that are still open. And we've won the Shield already. Like we don't need. And I'm saying this for me more than anyone else. We don't need to worry about the week to week placement yep. of this team. We need to worry about where this team is setting itself up for an MLS Cup run. And we need to worry how this team plays in elimination games, because if there's one thing that has been in Achilles heel for for Pat Noonan, it has been that this team does not play its best soccer in the highest pressure moments. And we saw that multiple times last year. And so setting ourselves up to win in those games is going to be more important this year than the week to week up and down. We had that fun last year. It was a blast going to TQL every week and knowing you were going to win. We've got to sort of 
this year is a blank canvas in that regard. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so yeah, to, to to kind of sum up how I feel, it's like you know, make make the additions that he that you need to make and be peaking at the end of the year. And that's really all you can fairly hope for, I think, with the team. Because, you know, once you get into the MLS Cup playoffs, there's a lot more variance than a team that's winning consistently throughout the entire season. Right. And they're the both hard to do in very different ways. Um, but I think all you can really hope for going into the MLS Cup is that you're playing your best soccer of the year. Yeah. That's putting you in the best possible position to win that thing. And then whatever happens in like a particular playoff round, man, there's so much craziness that can happen that yeah. some of it is out of your hands truly. I mean, sometimes you can have a player get injured. Other times you can have a player burst into a room and say, it's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. And just it upsets the entire season. Uh, I, I will, in a similar vein, I will say, I will, I will steal people against this, that losing in Champions League is not the end of the world. Uh, I mean, losing in the first round would, would potentially be the end of the world. Losing in the second round to Monterey is, is not a bad showing for this team. And the early goings of this season could very well be difficult given the new additions to the team, getting used to the system, and the sort of expected, I'll say, additions over the first couple of months of this season. This could very well be a work in progress at the beginning. And as we saw last year with Inter Miami, that team was in dead last coming out of the League's Cup break and just barely missed the playoffs. So long as FC Cincinnati is not in wooden spoon contention come summer, even if they are in 10th place going into the League's Cup, two or three signings can turn this thing around and turn them into MLS Cup winners. That That is not impossible. So I will say... A bad start to the season should not freak anybody out, especially if you are saying you want to win or, you know, you're expecting to win Champions League. I would not be expecting to do that. I would be expecting to not win that tournament. And yeah, a, a rough going to start the season. There are things that could happen right early in the season that do make you push the panic button, like something unexpected like Wobodo suddenly looks terrible. Right. Or it looks like he's had some career altering injury that he suffered last year and he's just not the same player anymore. Um but if they're just not clicking, you know, they'll just let them work it out. You know? Like there's gonna be stuff to work out. It's the team's the team is not gonna like having to do that, but it's there's likely going to be some of that, that that will need to be done because they had such a short break and they had such a short preseason. Yeah. Well, there we go. I, I am looking forward to this season. I, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Coming off of the Supporters' Shield, I, I feel like a weight has been lifted off of this club that after the initial start in MLS that this this team finally now can operate on a year-to-year -year basis where it doesn't have 
an immense amount of pressure on them that that silverware has been acquired. Chris Albright has really only had half of a missed signing so far as his tenure as a GM. Noonan has proven his ability to coach up players that are especially taking over this team that we thought were lost causes. So I am very excited to see where this team goes, where where this club ends up at the end of the year. And I'm excited to uh, to be along for the ride with you fellas. So this will be a good one. Well, there we go. I think that's going to do it for our preview. But we'd be cowards if we didn't put our names on the line and offer up some predictions. We will do that over in part two. We'll see you over there. And before we head on over to part two, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Scentsy Shirts. And I got to be honest with you, if you've never heard of Scentsy Shirts, I don't believe you. Look, they are the best when it comes to FC Cincinnati gear. They are the best when it comes to Cincinnati sports gear as well. They have an amazing selection online and in their two stores, one in Hyde Park, the other in Fort Mitchell. They do amazing stuff. They can also print on demand, by the way. Go check out their stock. And when you do, if you use the code THEPOSTCENCY, all one word, all caps, they knock 10% off your order and we kind of get to take credit for sending you over there, right? I think we can all agree that's that's fine. Just let them think that we are how you learned about them. Uh, they also have MLSPA licensed gear. Support the Players Union and FC Cincinnati players with that one. And as I said, they have print on demand in their location. So if they don't have your size in stock online, go to a store. They'll print it for you. Uh, huge thanks to Cincy Shirts for being sponsors of the podcast. Our longest running sponsor as well. Amazing, amazing guys. Happy to be working with them. Check them out again. Sensi Shirts, link in description. Use the code THEPOSTSENSI. Get 10% off your entire order. It doesn't even have to be SCC gear, and you'd be doing a lot for the show. So thank you so much to Sensi Shirts, and thank you for using the code. And we are back, and it is time now to predict 2024 season. I will say this is different than when in late December we went ahead and predicted the results of every single match of the regular season, <laughs> which you can go back and find elsewhere in the feed. That is before I think virtually any player signings were made, uh, which is very, very fun. Uh, just just going on vibes in that one. Vibes no, I. I, I like I like this one here. Uh, let's do it by competition. Chief regular season standings in the Eastern Conference. Where do you put FC Cincinnati? I'm going to say that the FC finishes the regular season in third place in the Eastern Conference. I think they make some strong signings in the summer, and they ride those signings up to a home playoff or a home field advantage at least for the first round i like it grayson where are you putting the fc i was also going to say third oh um i think that um i hate to say it i think columbus is ahead of us right now to start the year there's you know there's no necess- there's no reason that they need to stay that way but like we talked about in the last segment supporter shield standings where you start the year is really important to that. 
Orlando and Columbus finish ahead of us in some order. But I don't really like anybody else. No, I don't even like Orlando. They're just boring. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't like either of those teams to be clear, okay. <laughs> but I don't, I don't like anybody else's chances to, to, to have a better regular season than us. I agree with that. I'll give you a, a, a weird one. I think FC Cincinnati finishes first in the East, but does not win the Supporters' Shield. I think the Western Conference is much weaker than the Eastern Conference, and I think a strong team in the West will mop up points, whereas the East will spend a lot of time beating each other up, and first place in the East will be great, but it will not be a Supporters' Shield. The East is, the East is brutal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I said I don't like anybody's a lot of teams' chances to finish above us, but there's like <laughs> eight, 12, <teams>? yeah. <laughs> 12 or thirteen teams that you're like, yeah, that, that team's probably gonna make the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> I think other than like Toronto and Charlotte, yeah, everybody has gotten better. Which even uh, Chicago, Chicago got a lot better on paper. DC United's another one. I think I I think between DC, Toronto, and Charlotte, you have a wooden spoon winner at this point. Uh, that's just because the the East is going to be so strong. Come on, will, Charlotte. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that seems that, will, that seems right. Pummel them with that League's Cup. Where does this team end up in League's Cup? I will say. They lose in the first round, get out of the group. I'll be pessimistic. They get out of the group. I agree with that. I think they make a decent run in League's Cup, honestly. I think they'll make at least a similar run in League's Cup that they made last year. I think they'll win group. They'll win at least one knockout stage. I don't see them winning League's Cup. I think they have a better chance of winning League's Cup than they do just about any other trophy, just because I think that should be around the time... I don't think we're going to wait till summer for all of our reinforcements. I think there probably will be a signing before the window ends in April, but that player will take some time or players will take some time to get integrated. I don't know. We didn't even touch on this either in this episode, but this team will lose players at some point for international duty, especially with how many players play or around adjacent to the U S men's national team. So that's a concern as well with as many mm-hmm. players from that that we have. So League's Cup would be kind of when the team is getting a lot of those players back after the summer window. So I could see League's Cup being good for this team. So I'm going to say <laughs> they equal or exceed their positioning from last year. I think they finish, I'll, I'll say third place. Ooh. Um, I'm Our group is not sure, good. I'm pretty sure based on the format, that we would host every knockout round match because we won the supporter shield until we get to the semifinals. And then we would probably have to travel to some other site to play one of the big, uh, one of the big Mexican teams. And I think having to leave TQL and play like club America, um, in like San Diego or something, I think that's where our run toward Leagues Cup ends. Hmm. But then we, I think we probably would then would come back to TQL for the third place game. And um, third place would be good enough for qualifying for next year's Champions Cup. So <laughs> not not a bad, not a bad showing. No, if we're I, going to if we're going to San Diego to play Club America, we got to find a way to go to that game. <laughs> well, we'll but, see. I mean, whatever. I, I, I don't know where Club America's home 
like right. quote unquote home stadium. I'm, I'm just be, saying, in that but, exact scenario, we got to find a way to make it to that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love it. Um, where does that leave us? Champions Cup. Uh, does anybody get us have us getting past? Monterey. So the first round is against Jamaican club Cavalier. Uh, as if you would like to know more about that team and Jamaican soccer, listen to the last episode with Omar Cummings, uh, Jamaican international, former FC Cincinnati player, joined us on the podcast. Uh, Cavalier is not a very good team in general. I think I should say in the context of the Champions Cup, they're great in Jamaica, apparently. Um I think FC Cincinnati gets past them. They face Monterey. Brandon Vasquez is Monterey in the next round. Does anybody want to say we get past Monterey? No. And I think that's honestly, like, I think that's good. Like, honestly, with the with the roster turnover this team has had, with the number of players that they're looking to try and integrate, nice cup of coffee in the Champions League, get to see Brandon one more time. I'm not, I'm not going to stress it. I don't think they get past Monterey. I don't think we get past Monterey either. Um, and then our path, even if we do get past Monterey, it's rough. is really tough. And we don't need to go through it. Uh, anybody can look up the bracket, but it's a really tough path. So I kind of agree with Chief. Oh, I will be mad when we lose. I will be I will be <laughs> calling for people's jobs and heads. And yeah, no, I will not be rational in the moment. But right now, sitting here recording this, yeah, no, it would be it'd be great to clear up the fixture congestion when we have a very low likelihood of winning this tournament. I would love to win it. It's just... It'd be an incredible... It'd be an incredible victory. Yeah. I'm not going to make a zoo an Open Cup prediction. I think it is anybody's guess as to what happens here. How about just we... How about we just do this? Will we be participating? Will we play at all? I'm I'm a no. I don't think so. I think that the format for U.S. Open Cup this year will exclude specifically all MLS teams completing in CONCACAF Champions League. I will say, yes, we do compete in it because I think MLS will make it optional for MLS teams. And I bet we opt in in that scenario. I think I think we would opt in if it was offered to us. I'm with Chief, I think. I think they'll likely exclude teams that are playing in Champions Cup and maybe will not even include all of the rest of the teams after that. I mean, that would not be unprecedented. Yeah, MLS has always had sort of a weird history with the Open Cup, and it just got weirder. It should be. They should force the teams that don't make the playoffs to make the Open Cup. That like, So if you don't make the playoffs the year before, you're also punished by having more games next year. That leaves us finally with MLS Cup playoffs. Who who wants to go first? <laughs> I'll go first. All right, let's hear it. I think we take it. Hey, hey there we go. I think I think that there's nothing that we can see about the roster that Chris Albright can't also see about the <laughs> roster. And I think he knows a lot more about what his plans are for the roster than we do. And I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say he makes the right additions. And because you can see that, like, you know, hypothetical player A and hypothetical player B make FC Cincinnati the best team in the league, like on paper, right? Right. Assuming the current signings hit and assuming that A and B are the kinds of profiles that the team is currently lacking, you know? So I'm going to be optimistic. I'll say we make, I'll say we make those signings. Uh, We're, you know, full steam ahead, end of the year. 
And while we may not be hosting every playoff game, uh, nobody's going to want to play us. We don't need hypothetical player A and hypothetical player B. We just need more trialists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for more trialists. Um, Chief, are I, you going to disagree with Grayson here? I, oh, no, not a hell of it. We're going to win MLS Cup. We got to. We have to. The, the universe is out of balance right now. Like the force is out of balance. The chosen one who is Luca Oriano must bring balance to the force. And that requires us beating Columbus in Columbus for the Eastern Conference final and then going on to win MLS Cup. That we have to get that win back. It has to happen on their field. The, the universe is, is descending into chaos because of this, and we must fight back to fix it. So, yes, we're going to win it all and we're going to fix that. That's my prediction. Well, I'm not going to be the asshole who says we're not going to what win. What a season preview, MLS fellas. <laughs> Boys, we are so back. How about this? How about this? I say we knock out Columbus earlier in the playoffs. Something goes horribly wrong for their team. They're a lower seed, and it is a match that is forever known as the Red Wedding when we host the New York Red Bulls in the Eastern Conference Final. <laughs> I don't know that I like this timeline. <laughs> I do love it. We're winning. I love this timeline. What am I saying? We win it. We win yeah. it. All right. But we come out with scars, baby. It's going to be rough. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There's your 2024 season in a podcast. Uh, you probably don't even need to watch the games now because right. – you, you know everything is going to happen. So there we go. Uh, no, gentlemen, thank you so much. I am very excited. Yes, this is the start of two episodes a week going forward until the season ends, as we said, hopefully in early December. So, Kevin, you want to explain to the people how we end, how we end the show? Yeah, let's do that. We obviously have a nice rivalry with... Columbus Crew, the New York Red Bulls, but we've decided in 2024, we're getting ahead of the curve. We have picked a fight with the incoming MLS team next year, San Diego, and they're our new rivals. They don't know this yet. They have no idea that we exist, but they are our rivals, and we want to prepare people for the upcoming battle of next year. So we always sign off the podcast the and same way. And if you got little kids in the car, put the earmuffs on. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cincy Postcast, which is a production of The Post Cincy. You can check us out at thepostcincy.com for all of our written content, as well as links to our social media. You can follow us on Twitter, and as well, you can join us on our Discord server. You can find links to that server both in this episode description as well as on our website. That is where most of our conversations are going on. We have a lovely community there talking about FC Cincinnati, MLS, anything and everything else and everything in between. We also want to give a huge thanks 
to Jim Trace and the Makers for providing all of the music you've heard throughout this episode. They're an amazing local Cincinnati band. Again, more information about them is in the description of this episode. And if you enjoyed what you listened to, and you've made it to the end, so I'm going to assume you liked it, or you just can't reach your stop button, please like us, review us, subscribe to us, wherever you are getting your podcast. That is going to be really, really helpful. But more importantly, share this with a friend. A personal recommendation helps spread a podcast so much further. So please share this if you know somebody in your life who's an FC Cincinnati fan, an MLS fan, somebody that you think would enjoy this, pass it on over. Thank you so, so much again for listening. It blows me away that people continue to listen to us. And thank you so, so much again.